rotation and symmetry under rotation in space, and we invented a mathematical system called vector analysis to handle as neatly as possible. On a more advanced level, we had another symmetry, which was the symmetry under uniform velocity in a straight line. That is to say, a rather remarkable effect, that if you have a piece of apparatus working in a certain way, then you take the same apparatus and put it in a car or something and move the whole car, plus all the relevant materials and so on, at a uniform velocity in a straight line, then as far as the phenomena inside the car are concerned, there's no apparent difference. And all the laws of physics appear the same. And we even know more technically how to express that, and that is that the mathematical equations of the physical laws must be unchanged under a Lorentz transformation. As a matter of fact, it was the study of the relativity problem which concentrated phys physicists' attention uh, most sharply on the problem of symmetry and physical laws. That was when we first kind of woke up to the interest in this problem. Now, there are other symmetries, uh, for example, of a different kind. These are so far been geometrical sort of, time and space being more or less the same. And there are others, for example, there's a symmetry which goes this way, that you can replace one atom for another of the same kind. It sounds like a hedge. But to put it a different way, there are atoms of the same kind. It is possible to find the groups of atoms, so if you change a pair around, it doesn't make any difference. The atoms are identical, and whatever one atom of oxygen of a certain type will do, another atom of oxygen of that type will do. You say, that's ridiculous. That's the definition of equal type. It's not maybe the definition, but then the fact is that there are many, many atoms of the same type. It may be a definition. We still don't know whether there are any atoms of the same type, but the fact is that there are many atoms of the same type, and then it does mean something to say that it makes no difference if we replace one atom by another of the same type. Now, there are, after this long list of things that can be done without changing the phenomena, you think that practically you can do anything. So I give some examples of the contrary, just to see the difference. Suppose that we ask, are the physical laws symmetrical for change of scale? Suppose I built a certain piece of apparatus, and then I built another apparatus five times bigger in every part. Will it work exactly the same way? And the answer is, in this case, no. The wavelength of light emitted, for example, by one of the atoms inside the one box of, of sodium atoms, and the wavelength of light emitted by a gas of sodium atoms five times in volume is not five times longer, but is in fact exactly the same as the other, so that the ratio of the wavelength to the size of the emitter will change, and there will be other things that will change, and the physical phenomena will change. To consider uh, another example, you've probably seen in the newspaper every once in a while a picture of a great cathedral made with little matchsticks, a tremendous work of art by some guy that's retired that keeps putting matchsticks <laughs> and gluing them together. And it's just much more elaborate and wonderful than any real cathedral. And you imagine that this thing were built on the scale of a real cathedral. You'll see where the trouble is. It wouldn't last. The whole thing would collapse because of the fact that the matchsticks are not strong enough. Yes, you say, but you've told me that when there's an influence from the outside, it also must be changed in proportion. And we're talking about the withstanding of the object against gravitation. So what we should do is take the little cathedral of Aztecs and the real Earth, and then it's stable. And then take the larger cathedral and take a bigger Earth. Oh, it's even worse, you see, because the gravitation is therefore increased still more. The fact that things depend on the scale 
We understand today, of course, on the grounds that things are atomic in nature, and that if, certainly if we built an apparatus that was so small that there were only five atoms in it, it's something you can't scale up and down. But the first discovery that the laws of physics were not unchanged under a change of scale is interesting. It was made by Galileo. He realized that the strengths of materials were not in proportion to their sizes in exactly the right proportion, and illustrated this thing that I was talking about with the Cathedral of Matchsticks by drawing two bones, the bone of a dog that was in the right proportion for holding up his weight, and the imaginary bone of an animal that would be, say, 10 or 100 times bigger, and that's just a big solid thing with different proportions, and argued that the strength of beams is not in proportion, in the right proportion, and uh, that the laws of nature have a definite scale. I don't know if he ever put it quite to the point that the laws of nature have a definite scale, but he was so impressed with this discovery that he considered this as probably as important as his discoveries of the laws of motion because he published them both in the same volume called On Two New Sciences. So that's one. Now another example of what we know well now is not one which is the laws are symmetrical, is this. A system in uniform rotation and a uniform angular velocity uh, is not give the same apparent laws as one which is not rotating. If uh, we put everything in a space, make an experiment and put everything in a spaceship and have the spaceship spinning in empty space all by itself, all along, just spinning quietly at a constant angular velocity, nevertheless the apparatus will not work the same way because, as you know, the things will be thrown to the outside, inside the equipment and so on by the centrifugal forces or Coriolis forces or affected, etc. And in fact, we can tell that the Earth is rotating by so-called pendulum without looking outside. So that's an effect of the uniform angular velocity. Next, I would like to mention a very interesting symmetry, which is prima facie, that I think means at, at first look, or something like that. Uh, obviously false, that is reversibility in time. The physical laws apparently can't be irreversible, can't be reversible in time because once said, never taken back, the moving finger rights and having writ business, Ratchet and Paul and so on. And we discussed that in considerable detail to discover that although all obvious phenomena are irreversible on a large scale, as far as we can tell, this irreversibility is nothing but a due to the very large number of particles involved. And that if we could see the individual molecules, we would not be able to discern whether the machinery was working forwards or backwards. To make it more precise, build an apparatus in which you know what all the atoms are doing, small ones, so you can watch everything and see them jiggling. Now build another apparatus, but start it in the final condition of this one, with all the velocities reversed. Then the point is it'll go through the motions in reverse. Putting it another way, if we take a moving picture with sufficient detail of all the inner guts of a piece of material and shine it on a screen and run it backwards, no physicist will be able to say that's against the laws of physics, that's doing something wrong. If you don't see all the details, of course, you'd be perfectly clear if you see the, the egg uh, splattering on the sidewalk and the shell cracking open and so on, then you say that's irreversible because if you take the moving picture backwards, the egg all collects, the shell goes back together, it's ridiculous. But if you look at the atoms in themselves, the laws look reversible. This is, of course, a much harder discovery to have made, but apparently it is true that the fundamental physical laws on a microscopic and fundamental level are reversible in time. Section 52.3, Symmetry and Conservation Laws. The reverse the uh, symmetries of the physical laws are very interesting at this level, but they turn out in the end 
to be even more interesting and exciting when we come to quantum mechanics. For a reason which I cannot make clear at this level, in fact, that I still find somewhat staggering, and the most profound and beautiful thing is that in the quantum mechanics, for each of the rules of symmetry, there's a corresponding conservation law. And there's a definite connection between the laws of conservations and the symmetries of the physical laws. I only tell you this without any attempt at explanation. The fact, for example, that the laws are symmetrical for translation in space turns out, when you add the principles of quantum mechanics, that's a superposition of amplitude, to, be, to mean that momentum will be conserved. That the translation in time is, makes no difference in quantum mechanics means that the energy is conserved. The rotation in space corresponds to the conservation of angular momentum. This is a very interesting and beautiful thing, probably the most beautiful and profound of things in physics, but I'm sorry that I can't explain it in any way to illustrate at all how it comes about. Incidentally, there are a number of symmetries which have no classical analog, which have no way to describe them in classical physics that have directly to do with the quantum mechanics, and that I can illustrate one thing. If psi is the amplitude for something or other, the square of it, absolute square, is the probability of that something or other. Now, if someone else will make his calculations, not with a psi, but with a different psi, which differs merely by a change in phase, let delta be some constant, and multiply e to the i delta times the old psi, then the absolute square of psi prime, which is the probability of any event, is equal to the absolute square of psi. And therefore, the physical laws are unchanged if the phase of the wave function is arbitrarily shifted.